Father, what a joy it is to be reminded again that you are a God who consistently comes running after us with your goodness. And the real astonishing thing is you go before us with your goodness too, and you're around us with your goodness all the time. So we thank you that that's the sort of God you are. This morning, Lord, we pray that as we come to look at your word, that you would open the ears of our hearts, uh, that you might speak to us by your word, and then might get down in the deep places of our souls and do work among us today. We'll trust you for this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, you know, it's a known fact that if you put uh, enough <clears throat> something under the right amount of pressure for a long enough amount of time, eventually you'll reveal what's inside, what's in the core, how it's set up. So, for instance, with food, you've seen a walnut. The walnut inside a nutcracker, you crack the nut on the outside and you get the, the good walnut on the inside. Or, or maybe you've been to one of those fancy restaurants where you have lobster and they give you a little hammer and you crack on the hammer and get the meat of the lobster out. Uh, or maybe it would work like if you're, um, if you're putting a shelf up at home. Put the shelf up, get it all lined up and get it installed. And then you put a, a nice maybe an artificial flower arrangement on it or something. And then maybe one day you decide that you're going to try uh, to put your scrapbooks and photo albums on the same shelf. And when you do that, well, the whole thing just collapses down because you realize it wasn't quite made for that kind of thing. Uh, that's just a total example. It hasn't happened to anybody that I know uh, that would happen to before. But, um, but those things, kind of things happen. So, but, but as we've walked through this kind of never-ending COVID-19 uh, moment, uh, what we've seen is that so many parts of our life have been put under pressure, and it's revealed what's inside, what's at the core. Uh, some good, some not so good when it comes to things like the systems we deal with. So the pressures on, on government, the pressures on the medical system, or on the economy, or on families, or on our education system. And we're all experiencing that. But it's not just the systems where that is happening. It's, it's individual people. People are under pressure. This, this time has revealed a lot about what's going on inside the hearts of people at the soul level. What has come out? What have you seen in your own life or in conversations or on social media? We know what we've seen. We've seen fear and confusion and, and anger courage. We've seen some selfishness. We've seen some selflessness. We've seen frustration, anxiety, creativity. But one more thing that we have seen that's been revealed in people that doesn't get a lot of press, nobody demonstrates about this, it rarely shows up on social media or even in conversations that are there. Uh, but like high blood pressure, it's kind of the silent stalker behind the scenes. There's so many people that we're seeing that under the pressure, what's been revealed is they are experiencing intense levels of loneliness. Of loneliness. Now, the first week or so, this is all okay. It was like, it was like a really bad snowstorm. Or if you live in Bulgaria for a while, like the ice storm, Right? It was sort of like that. You, you, you can't get out, so you hunker down, you make your favorite soup, you binge watch stuff on Netflix, clean out the closets, you know. But then that just went on for a little while longer. The pressure began to ratchet up. And as is often the case, it was children who were the barometer of this. 
It was real early on we began to hear reports back about the effects of not having school, not having the interaction on our children, not having those daily rhythms and those interactions where they were. And then we began to see sporting uh, events canceled or, or, or their dance or whatever they're involved in canceled. And birthday parties couldn't be at the house. It was kind of a drive-by thing. It was okay, but it's not the same. And trying to hang out online and be a part of that. And then summer camps got canceled. And, and here's the thing we know that socialization is a, is a really important part of development for uh, children and young people. And without that engagement, it was astonishing how quickly the levels of depression and anxiety and acting out, and yes, even suicide began to rise among our our youngest. And, and sadly, the other thing we've seen is that in so many homes where there's already dysfunction in the home, those same children are also experiencing increasing levels of abuse at home as well. But it's not just our children and our, our younger people, not just the kids. Multiple surveys over the past few months have shown that, that fully one-third of American adults report feeling more lonely than usual. And the highest incident was among those that identify as the millennials, those that are about age 25 to their late 30s, and those and younger than that. Obviously, our seniors have been impacted by this. Many live alone or have underlying health issues. It makes, even if they want to get out, they don't really want to do that because it's not really safe for them. So one analyst looked at all this data, and here's what they said. If the stereotype of a lonely person is a frail, elderly adult who lives alone, the coronavirus pandemic has exposed the truth that was there all along. Anyone, anywhere, of any age can experience loneliness. So the pressure of the 2020 coronavirus has shown us what was already there. We live in a very lonely world. Now, now there are 8 billion people on the planet. It seems like it'd be tough to get alone if you've got 8 billion people around you all the time. But, but it's important to understand that loneliness is not as about social isolation or a time of, of solitude. It's the personal, soul-deep sense of disconnectedness from other people. And this is a global issue. The last part of 2019 in Great Britain, they appointed for the first time at a national level office a minister of loneliness. That's their, his, that person's whole job, their staff's whole job is to deal with the issue of loneliness across Great Britain. But here's what we know. That's not just a global issue, is it? It's a right here, right now in this room issue. There are people here who are sensing that loneliness. In all the places where we have service today, and many who are watching us by our live stream, in many living rooms and on back porches are feeling that sense of loneliness. And not only that, even more, as we know, friends or neighbors or co-workers are there. We live in a world full of lonely people. Now, all year long, we've been looking at this idea is come and see what what, what, what God can do. Come and see. We're looking at the fact that we need, there's this great need for love among us. We want to kind of see what love can do. We know we're called to share God's love with the world, but it's not just a, a warm, fuzzy, kind of nice moment, but, but this sturdy, real commitment to actively pursue the highest good in other people. We're to love the world, not as we wish it were, but as it actually is. 
in its mess and in its, in its difficulties and its pressures and stresses. And that means we're called to actively love lonely people. How do we do that? How do disciples love lonely people? And as we've seen, the Bible has a lot to say about this love. We've talked about love that's expressed vertically towards God and then horizontally toward our neighbors and towards enemies and towards those that are hurting and those that are, uh, those that are wealthy. So we want to look at this idea of spring, that love towards those who are lonely. And we're going to hear from, uh, from James. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there at the little New Testament book of James. So we'll look at one verse in James chapter 1. Now James uh, is the half-brother of Jesus. And for the longest time, he didn't believe in Jesus at all. He grew, had grown up with him all the way along. Now, 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 be honest, those of you who have siblings, what would it take for you to believe that your sibling was God if they told you they were? <laughs> yeah. Well, for, uh, for James, it took a resurrection. So once Jesus was raised from the dead, he did believe in Jesus. And when he believed in Jesus, then uh, he became one who was uh, connected back to the church and became a leader of the mother church of Christianity in Jerusalem. Christians got scattered across the Middle East because of a time of persecution. And James was getting, getting hearing back from them. They were having a hard time knowing how to apply their faith in those kind of circumstances. So he wrote this letter. It's a circular letter that was to be sent to all these churches, and it's very practical in its application. Some people call this like the Proverbs of the New Testament. So you see what's going on. And it's all kind of rooted around this one core principle in chapter 1, verse 22, which says this. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word. In other words, the faith goal of a disciple is not merely passive reception and affirmation of facts about God, but active obedience and practice of the heart of God. Now, I'll say that again for us to get that. For disciples, our faith goal is not just the passive reception of and affirmation of facts about God, but the active obedience and practice and living out of the heart of God in our world. So for those living as apprentices in the way of Jesus, there's to be a, a sense in which there's a match between what we believe and how we behave. A consistency between doing religious activities, like attending a worship gathering or participating in a Bible study, and being religious, which is our lives matching the character of God and His ways, putting those two things together in that way, in measurable ways. So then he begins to give some examples. For example, he says in verse 26, he says, you need to, to watch your speech and make sure that your speech matches up with what you're saying, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then in verse 27, another application of the same thing. And this is our key verse for today. And I want us just to read this verse together. Let's read it out loud together. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James very practically puts his finger right on this one particular issue and says, if that's what you're going to say you believe, how's your behavior going to begin to live that out? And tucked into that are some keys for how we as disciples are going to love the lonely people in our world. And the first thing I want you to see is this. 
that disciples love lonely people by clearly seeing the many reasons for their loneliness. He looks and says, he draws attention to two particular groups of people, orphans and widows. Now, why would he do that? Because both groups were terribly vulnerable in those days. There was no social safety net. There was no government programs to protect and provide for them. So for children, uh, there was no uh, orphan care initiative. There was no orphan care ministry like we see here with so many of our families. There was no funding for uh, foster parents to support them being able to do it. So if, if a child's parents died or, or if uh, the child's parents were either unwilling or, or unable to care for them any longer uh, in any way, and if there was no immediate family to take them in and care for them, then that child would basically just throw on the streets and kind of make their own way very vulnerable. And then for the widows, this is primarily talking about, about widows who, who are female in that culture, the women couldn't go out and get a job. It wasn't allowed in their culture. They were totally dependent on their husband, what their husband brought in. So if the husband dies, again, if there's no family that immediately begins to, to take them in, they're just kind of on their own to try to beg and make their way. That's what we see with the story of Ruth and Naomi in the Old Testament. Ruth and Naomi both are widowed, and they come back to Naomi's hometown because they think maybe they can connect with some people. But when they first get there, Ruth is sent in the fields basically to beg to try to get enough grain just to make it through the day. So both orphans and widows were terribly vulnerable. And throughout the Scriptures, the Lord continues to draw the attention of His people to those two groups because it's His heart to defend and to provide for them. And so we find these words in other places. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. The Lord executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. God sees them. He sees them and acts to protect them and wants his people to join him in doing that very thing. So God sees the lonely and the vulnerable when nobody else does. Or we might tend to overlook them in some way. Now, in our world today, the lonely are there. They're all around us. They're on the edges of our selfies. They're three doors down your neighborhood. They're on the job site. They're around the conference table. They're down the pew from you on Sunday morning in church. They're, they're maybe in the shadows or the background of, of the busyness of your schedule and your life, but they just as easily might be right in the center of the thing, smiling because we get really good at faking this thing and not telling anybody what is going on. They're all around us. And so I think one of the things that love means is we look at this and understand the part of the Lord's call is to say, if you're mine, I want you to open your eyes and see the people like I see them. See what's going on behind the surface. Or in the words of those famous theologians, Lennon and McCartney, look at all the lonely people. Where do they all come from? Look at all the lonely people. Where do they all belong? In other words, love means first, I think, we just notice. We open our eyes to see orphans and widows, yes, a unique passion of God, but also to understand they aren't the only lonely ones around us. Now, see, we can't always see loneliness physically. 
Few people are going to wear a button that says, hug me, I'm lonely. <laughs> we don't do that. We kind of keep it to our, ourselves and we see what's going on. We can't always see it. And it's tough to quantify uh, because the experience is so individualized. Uh, Dr. Carla Personato studies loneliness, and she said this, being alone doesn't necessarily mean you're lonely, nor does being around people mean you're not. (laughs) I can't assume one way or the other. But there are life circumstances that we can observe, and we can see where they are and, and begin to discover in conversation, begin to hear what may be going on behind the scenes. Stories like that of Kathy. Kathy was, was divorced last year in 2019. And throughout this, this coronavirus time, she said she was driving around her neighborhood. And like many of us have noticed, there's so many more families out on the streets. They're taking a walk and they're playing out in the yard. She's seeing that. But here's what Kathy said. Some days I smile and feel okay. And other days I curl up in a ball and wonder if this goes on too much longer, will I be able to take it mentally? Can I last sanely living alone for months or a year? Where might the stories be around of people where there may be some loneliness happening? Well, what about people who have no immediate family in this area? Uh, They come here, but they don't have any other extended family that uh, that is here. Many of our people who have active military families, or, or they're the families of our first responders who are working long shifts, and there's, a, there's, there's some loneliness that is going on there. Those who are dealing with long-term illness, or those who are caring and providing for those with long-term illnesses, that can be a very lonely process. Those who are walking through um, uh, addictions, maybe, or some abuse in their family, many times that becomes the family secret. And trying to carry that secret can be a very, very lonely thing. The new kid in town, the new student in town, the point is just moved here to have a network of friends yet. Some people who are experiencing family tensions where there's, there's a disconnect between, between parents and child, between a husband and a wife, and even though they're in a home with some people, they still are feeling very lonely. Those who are socially awkward and don't easily connect in, in groups of people those who believe the lie of social media that says you have hundreds of friends because there's nobody you can call when your heart is really hurting. They're recently retired. You may uh, losing all those rhythms of being around people every day, and it feels very lonely and very different. There's all kinds of situations. So where are they? Where are the lonely people and the lonely stories in your world? So, so we're going to love them. We've got to see them and know that they're there. But not only that, disciples love lonely people by personally engaging with others in their loneliness. See what James says. He says, visit the widows and the orphans in their affliction. See, the call is not merely to just um, uh, notice them and catalog the lonely, like a, like a bird watcher keeping record of their sightings, right? Oh, barn owl, check. Great blue heron, check. Oh, divorce man, check. Woman whose husband's in long-term memory loss care, check. Right? It's not that. But to personally step in, to visit, which means to join them in their mess, in their stress, in their pressures, in their moment. And it's so crucial 
for us to engage because in a great irony, loneliness does not stay alone in a person's heart or body or soul. The longer it lingers, the more it tends to invite others to come and join in. And it's not a good party for those that it invites to join in. Long-term illness mentally can lead to some significant cognitive decline if we're not engaging with people. From an emotional standpoint, it points toward mood disorders and swings. We've already mentioned depression and self-harm. But it even has physiological impacts when there is an ongoing loneliness. Studies tell us that it has as much negative effect on our physical bodies as if we were smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It tends to move toward abusive substances. Our bodies don't respond as well when we're seriously ill because we don't have a support system around us. There are terrific impacts. Now, we know that. We knew all that without having some expert or some study to tell us that because nobody's meant to do life alone. It's not in God's, God's design specs for humanity. We know this. Remember the verse from Genesis 2, right? It is not good for man to be alone. It's not good to be alone. It shows up. Now, lonely people know that. And so they battle back. Many times they battle back with busyness. I'm just going to keep myself going with something to do all day long from the time my eyes open until I collapse back to sleep at night. And I'll get up and do the same thing all day tomorrow so I won't feel lonely. I will battle it with I'll just drink a little more. I'll take a few more pills to dull the edge off right? I'll battle it with a series of relationships or with obsessions or with some other things that maybe will be a substitute. I saw an article just this past week, and here was the kind of the banner of the article. Uh, Can chatbots be the solution to our society's loneliness academic? Chatbots, chat robots, basically think Siri or Alexa on steroids, And what they're doing is they're designing these things to where they're pulling from millions and millions and millions of social media interactions so a person could talk to this robot engagement and have a somewhat of a conversation about most anything. Because we're pulling from all these different things and putting an algorithm together that makes it spit out some kind of a response. It was a fascinating to read the article, though, because the further it went on, the more and more people were saying, yeah, you can have a conversation for a while, but it's just not the same as having somebody there. And we know that. We know that. An algorithm will never chase your loneliness away. It's not going to work. But we're trying it because we're so desperate for those connections. So how can I engage with a lonely person? How can I really get in there and connect? Because here's what happens a lot of times. Lonely people tend to put up privacy fences around their mess. They put up fences around it because they don't want anybody to see because they don't want to be a bother to anybody and don't even want to be truthful about what they're really feeling. So how am I going to connect in that way? Well, one way is to be a friend and not a fixer. Remember, we're called to love people. And those people... In spite of their circumstances, and, uh, they remain fearfully and wonderfully made. They, everyone you know, unique among the billions on the planet. Everyone full of dignity and a God-given purpose. They have an eternal soul. They are dearly loved by their creator. They matter to God. 
We know that we want to make sure that we see. And here's the thing, though. The second our lonely friends sense that we see them as a problem to be solved, an issue to be addressed, or a religious duty to fulfill, they will turn away and they'll put up the no trespassing sign. But here's what we know. Friends don't trespass. Friends come to the back door and come in through the kitchen, right? And so we befriend people. And this is, this is people that you know who share your faith, people who don't. We simply befriend people. Maybe you take a pie over. Maybe you, you're going to invite them over to watch a game. Now we can actually watch games again. Uh, maybe you're, you're going to water their plants while they get away for a few days. Or you're going to do some pet sitting. Or you're going to help them rake leaves in the fall. You're simply going to offer to help in any way that you can. This is one of the things our deacons have been doing. have been calling our membership and offering to help during this time. What can we do to help? And there's been several projects they've stepped into. But you know the biggest part of that was, the biggest, what was for, the biggest part of that was just to push back the loneliness a little bit. To let folks know somebody sees you, somebody cares, somebody knows what is going on. Could this be hanging out with somebody, a cup of coffee, some iced tea, no agenda whatsoever. Befriending people is anything to signal your belief that that person is seen and valued. That's the way you begin that engagement. But as you're doing that, then there's going to be this idea of listening. Listening first, listening long, listening well. Back up in James 1.19, it says, um, everyone should be quick to hear and slow to speak. And lonely people don't often think that anyone cares enough or will be patient enough to actually hear their heart. So you know what listening does? Listening invites storytelling. And you ask a question, they'll tell you a little bit more. And stories always reveal things. They give you a context, a way to understand what's going on. But listening means that you and I have to become relatively unshockable. Because if lonely people begin to share their hearts with us, and they've not had anybody listen for a while, and they've not talked for a while, and they're going to stop talking, and they're going to keep talking, and there's no telling what's going to spill out. And it's likely that you're going to hear anger, or doubt, or conflict, or guilt, or shame, or curses, or bitterness. And when that stuff comes from a really lonely person, we can't shush them or try to change the subject because we're uncomfortable. Because let me tell you, here's what's going on. What the lonely person shares with you, and they share the hurts of their heart, what they share is revealing the very places they need someone to come and visit the very places they need someone to come and step with them. And that is your invitation to step in with them into their mess. And that is a holy privilege. So if I'm going to engage people who are lonely. I, I want to I make sure that I'm befriending them genuinely. I'm listening well to their story. And then little by little, I, I want to I invite them into my circle. I want to try to gradually ex expand my, my friends' engagement with more and more of Jesus' people. There are some here who, who are part of Living Hope who really have no connection with others and need to be connected. Or those that you don't know, this is a great part of our, our connect groups and our small groups, a great opportunity to just invite somebody in when you have those gatherings. Even now you can still do that. 
And all the way along, you're praying. You're praying for God to be at work in the, the deep places of their soul, for, for godly wisdom to know how to engage. Because what you're praying is something spiritual, something at soul level is going on. So, so what we said is that we're going to love those who are lonely. It's really important that we see them, notice where they are, Really important we personally engage them. But here's the question that was asked me recently. I think it's a great question. So I said, how's that different from what a social worker or a secular psychologist would recommend with dealing with lonely people? Great question. We're disciples of Jesus. How is what we're doing, how does this make this uniquely Christian? And that's the third thing I want you to see is that disciples love lonely people by physically showing God's heart to be present in their loneliness. See, we said we want our behaviors to match our beliefs. So behind it all is what we believe to be true about God, the heart of a God that we believe to be transcendent and glorious. Yes, but he's not distant. He's not separated from the the real world needs of people. Our God is holy and sovereign, but he's also kind and and tender and compassionate. So I love what this passage in Psalm 68 says and calls us to. It says, sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. There it is. He's transcendent. He's sovereign. He's over all. Listen to what it says. A father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families and sets prisoners free with joy. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens, the burdens of that loneliness. Now, how can can we and all the lonely people around us How can we know that that's more than just something inspirational to put on a coffee cup? (laughs) Because the last thing he said there was God who is our Savior. And the God who is our Savior came to rescue us in person. Remember when Joseph was really struggling with Mary told him. Mary told him she was pregnant. Mary told him she was pregnant and that God did it. He was struggling a little bit. And he's praying about that. What am I going to do with this? How am I going to handle this? And God sends an angel and says, God's in this. Trust God. Here's what's going on. And then remember what the angel said to Joseph. He said, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Sin separates us from God. That's the source of all of our brokenness, including our our loneliness. We chose to run away from his love, and the punishment was that we were banished even more from his love to go do life on our own in the world. As we make our way throughout the world and on our own, we'll be lonely all the way to death and beyond. But Jesus came to save us, to rescue us from our sins and all its brokenness 
So Jesus lived perfectly in his relationship with his heavenly Father. He died on the cross to take the penalty for our sins. He rose again in victory. And when we trust him for life, what the Word says is that we're reconciled back to him. He takes what has been broken apart and puts it back together. We're reconciled so we have a relationship with our God who is our Father. So to be saved means we know I'm not alone God is with us. God's with me. So when Paul says this, he says, So I know neither life nor death, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You are not alone. Psalm 23 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. You're not alone. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. You're not alone. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are not alone. That's such good news that in Christ, God comes to us in the flesh so we would never be alone again. So I just got to ask you, have you Have you entered into that relationship with him? Have you trusted this God who is our Savior, who's come to rescue us from all our brokenness and to always be with us today? Maybe your day to call out to him. He will save and he will rescue. And he gives us his life. But here's the thing. Christ's life is not just when we're saved, not when we're rescued, not just life that is with us. It's in us and then flows through us. We share it with our our brothers and sisters in the family called the church. It's one of the reasons why we gather, why we continue to urge you to gather with us because we're reminding ourselves, oh, we together are family. We have the life of Christ flowing in us and through us, but We are the very body of Christ, his life in us. So where we are in our skin, where we are and where we go and the relations that we have, he is with us. And then he sends us out of the world with his heart and his life. And so when we, Jesus' people, come to love our lonely friends, we see them, we engage them, we serve them, we befriend them, we talk to them, we, we do all. We, do you see that it is in fact Jesus that they are encountering? Jesus still comes to lonely people in the flesh. He comes in your flesh. He comes in my flesh. He speaks to the lonely with your voice. He looks directly into their eyes with compassion through your eyes. He listens to their stories with your ears. He serves them with your hands. Now, why does he do that? To relieve loneliness? Yes. So we won't be pain? Yes. Do want discomfort? Yes. All those things. But even more, if they know Christ so they can be encouraged and reminded of who he is, but if they don't, 
they can meet him and be rescued from their brokenness and be a part of his forever family and join us as we walk home. And there's going to come that day when our father will say, welcome home, dear ones. And here's what he says. Look, the dwelling place of God is with humanity. He will live with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. You are never, ever alone when you have him. So yes, the pressures of these COVID days are revealing. Under the pressure, it's revealing some tough realities about our hearts and about our our souls, including loneliness. It can be a very, very tough season. But I just want to ask this question. Isn't it just possible that like the crushing pressure of the earth on a seam of coal produces glittering precious, priceless diamonds that our good God means to use this time in the pressure, under the pressure to produce trophies of grace in those exact same lonely hearts. And if that's possible, could it be that there come a day when the person who is now lonely today will tell a story that in 2020, in the middle of that that horrible time, I came face to face with my loneliness and my sense of disconnectedness in a way I never had before. And I felt the crushing. And just then when I did, a disciple from Living Hope showed up. And they were to me Jesus with skin on. And they came near and they showed me and they loved me. And they'll say, I already knew Jesus, but I was so encouraged. They reminded me of who I was in him and who he was and his promises. And my heart was changed because they came. Or they may say, I never knew who Jesus was till that moment. And they came and told me about a Jesus who would come and would never, ever leave. And I trusted him and I was changed forever because somebody cared enough to simply love a lonely person with Jesus' kind of love. Are you here this morning and you're lonely? Just run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. You're here this morning and say, I know him already, but I, I need to be reminded, run to Jesus. And if you know somebody who's lonely, then you can take Jesus to them wherever they go. And then all of us together We can join hands together as we walk the journey home and and sing in the words of of an old song, a version of an old song that says, When I feel alone, when I feel alone, when I feel alone, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus, give me Jesus, you can have all this world. Give me Jesus. And when you have him, you're never, ever alone. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for your kindness. 
and so grateful for your noticing us where we are. And so in these moments, Lord, what we ask is that we would be honest before you. And Lord, there's somebody here this morning who has known about Jesus but never known Jesus. And maybe this would be the day that they would call out to you and tell you they need you. And I pray as they do that and repent of sin and trust you alone to be their life and to put their relationship with God back together, that they would just be so assured of the reality that you've given that anyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved and rescued. Do that work now. Or there's somebody else here. Oh, they've known Jesus for a long time, but, but their heart is so twisted and in turmoil and they feel so alone in the world right now and it feels so big. Would you remind them that greater is the one that is in them than he is in the world and that they are with you always. And Lord, even in these moments as you brought to our mind someone that we know who is lonely, would you give us, would you give us the courage and give us the love to go take the life and the love of Jesus to them even today in some way. We're grateful, Lord, that you do your work in us and pray to remind us always that you are real and true and good. It's in your name we pray all these things. Amen.